Hey, this is Pastor Dave from Cross Point Church. Thank you so much for checking out our podcast today. We are a church on the move to redeem people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can learn more about us by checking out our website at crosspointwestdallas.com. You can watch one of our services by going to our YouTube channel at Cross Point Church West Dallas. More than anything, we'd love to meet you in person and for you to be our guest on a Sunday morning at 10 a.m. We meet every Sunday at 11,000 West Oklahoma Avenue in the great city of West Dallas. We would love to see you soon. And may God use this message to give power and grace to you today. We're in a series on the book of Acts. I'm Pastor Phil, by the way, or Phil, or Joe, or Frank, whatever you want to call me. It doesn't really matter. Um, I'm just thankful to be able to stand here today and bring to you God's Word. God's Word is life to us. We need God's Word, don't we? So I'm looking forward to uh, what God has in store for us. We're going through the book of Acts, as I was saying. Our series is entitled, The Gospel Gone Viral. The Gospel Gone Viral. And so today we're going to look at chapter 10. If you want to open your Bibles or devices to Acts chapter 10, that would be great. I'm not going to put it on the screen because there's just too many slides. And I guess I was lazy. So uh, if you'll open your devices, I'm going to read from... Um, the ESV, <clears throat> nothing against the NLT, but ESV today, and uh, we're going to read down to verse 33, so just soak in the story you're about to hear, um, you know, these are narrative passages, so filled with lots of uh, Good details. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. So he was an officer in the Roman army. He was a devout man who feared God with all his household. And he gave alms generously to the people and he prayed continually to God. Well, about the ninth hour of the day, On a particular day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. I just just love that. Like, the angel just walks in and says, Cornelius. Calls him by name. Well, he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now I want you to send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. So go get Peter. He's lodging with another guy named Simon. He's a tanner. That is, he tans hides and makes things out of hides or leather. He makes leather. His house is by the sea. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, uh, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him, and he related everything to them. Then he sent them to Joppa to get Peter. Well, in the meantime, the next day, 
as they were on their journey approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop. The roofs were flat and, and you could, you know, hang out on the roofs in those days. Well, it was about the sixth hour, by the way, the sixth hour is three in the afternoon, according to their schedule. And Peter went up to the housetop to pray, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. So much for being spiritual, right? He's going to pray. I'm hungry. I think I'll have something to eat. Well, there's a purpose in that, it seems. Uh, Because while they were preparing the food, Peter fell into a trance, and he saw the heavens opened, and something like a great sheet descending. I I think it was kind of like a big tablecloth. It was being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, what God has made clean, do not call common. And this happened three times. And the thing was taken back up to heaven. Finally. Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men that were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate. So they're outside the door. And they called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering this vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I'm the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guest. So the next day comes along and they get up and they go their way. And some of the brothers from Joppa also accompanied Peter. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. So they're all gathered around. Peter enters and Cornelius meets him and he falls down at his feet and he starts to worship him. And Peter reaches down and he lifts him up and he says, please stand up. I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, why you sent for me? And Cornelius then said, for four, day, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once And you've been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all 
that you have been commanded by the Lord. And then the rest of the passage is Peter preaches the gospel to them and they respond to the gospel and the Holy Spirit is poured out upon them in a, in a like manner as what happened to the Jews, to the 120 who were gathered in chapter 2 of Acts. The Holy Spirit came upon them, they began to speak in tongues and they started praising God and Peter basically says we can't deny what has happened here. So I've got some observations from this passage that I want to share with you. And here's the first one. And I I think it's not simply an observation out of this passage, but out of the entire book of Acts. God is at work in the world saving people. God is at work in the world saving people. And I, I think, you know, this is one of those duh statements, but it's something that we tend to forget. Like, God is out there doing things. You know, he's out there preparing people's hearts, if you will, in advance. So that ultimately, when you show up with the gospel message, there's this, there's this meeting of the minds and meeting of the hearts, right? And, and, they want to hear what you've got to say, and you want to say what you've got to hear, what they want to hear. It's just kind of an exciting moment when somebody wants to hear what you have to share. God is at work. He said he would build his church, right? He said that. Jesus said it in, in Matthew, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And he was serious. God was serious. And I want you to notice in our passage, like, you see God at work, don't you? Like, the orchestration of, of these two parties coming together is a God thing, isn't it? I mean, they're just kind of in separate parts of the, of the area. They don't really know each other. They're kind of doing their, their thing. And then all of a sudden, God begins to work. And an angel shows up, and then there's visions, and the next thing you know, God has brought all these people together. God did it. And I think that's important to note once again, because how many times do we, do we neglect this? And, uh, you know, we're thinking about what God would have us do, how he would have us be a light and a witness and a testimony in the world, but we conclude that people don't want to hear what we have to say. We, we, we draw that conclusion when, as it comes down to it, we don't really know what might be going on in their hearts, do we? We don't really know what they might be thinking. But God says through Jesus once again that the fields are white unto harvest. The fields are white unto harvest. So you should think and you should believe and you should expect that there are people out there that are ready to hear what you've got to say. I'm reminded of the time that Jesus sent out the disciples and he sent them out two by two. And they went out and they were evangelizing. And Jesus told them, he said, listen, when you go into a town... And, and they don't want to hear what you've got to say. What did he say do? He said, shake the dust off your shoes and keep moving, right? 
And that's an important principle for how we go about this work and this ministry that God's called us to do. I, I very much believe this, that if you begin to talk to somebody about Jesus, you begin to talk to somebody and share with them uh, things related to the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he's, he's done in your life maybe, and they turn you off and, the, and, and they disregard you and they don't want to hear what you have to say. Maybe they even insult you for you having the gall to bring up religion. What should you do? Just close it up. Close up shop and walk away, right? It's not, I mean, that doesn't mean that that person is not going to become a believer at some point, but at this point in time, they're not open. So there's no need for you to continue beating a dead horse, as they say. But if you begin to talk, if you begin to share, and the person is receptive, there's some degree of receptivity, and and they engage you in conversation, you should be going, God has been at work here. God has done something. He's prepared their hearts. So I'm just going to talk. I'm going to talk. I'm going to say things that maybe sound really crazy, but I'm going to say them because the Holy Spirit's at work here. God's at work and they're going to get it somehow, some way. It's, 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 it's going to work. <laughs> Their hearts have been prepared to hear the word of God. God is at work. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son into the world to save the world, right? That we shouldn't perish, but that we should have eternal... God did that. Jesus came to do what? To seek and to save the lost. So, God uses than people to save people. So, so God came into the world to save people, but then God uses people to save people. He's, he's using Peter. Now, there's an angel that's, that's been at work. We're told that angels are messengers of those who will inherit salvation in the book of Hebrews. So you got to believe that angels are at work constantly. We, we can't see them, right? Sometimes... The curtains are peeled back and you can see into the spirit realm, right? Like Acts chapter 10. There's, there's an angel that we are physically brought into contact with here. But oftentimes we don't see the angels that are working. The angels that are being sent by God. But they are, Right? But God doesn't simply use angels. He uses people. He uses us. In fact, really, God doesn't go about saving people without us. Isn't that something? Now, I would imagine this, there's exceptions to this rule, right? Um, I, I've heard people say, well, nobody shared with me the gospel somehow these circumstances evolved, and then, lo and behold, I trusted in Jesus. I've heard that, but it's extremely rare. 99.9% of the time, there are people involved. God uses people, and he goes before us, and he prepares the way. Now, I want you to notice something about our story. Um, Notice that both... Both Peter and Cornelius are praying men. They're praying people, right? So, so when we ask about or consider this whole idea that God is at work 
and, and he's, he's working, and, and then we feel this disconnect, and we go, okay, well, really, like, where is he working? I, I don't, yeah, maybe he is. I'm not sure, I'm not sure where that is, is happening. We, we feel this disconnect. The way you get connected is in prayer, right? Because, because there's a river that's flowing. There's a river that's moving, and the question is, are we in tune with what God is doing? Are we connected to God? And prayer is the way that we get connected. I can't overemphasize how important prayer is. Um, Cornelius prayed continually. Peter prayed regularly. It's so important because what happens when you get into God's presence through prayer, then God's will, God's, God's ways, they are introduced to you and they start becoming your will and your ways. And if God's a God who's at work in the world saving people, then you become someone who identifies with, with God in that manner. And then that becomes your mission. That becomes your goal. When your heart is joined together with God, God's not going to go about his work without you. He's just not going to do it. You have to go. You have to go. God's at work in the world saving people. God uses people to save people. And then... Something happens, though. People can get in the way of people getting saved. We can complicate things, that is. So in the passage, we see this complication arise with, with Peter. Like, like God wants to send Peter to to minister to Cornelius and his family so that there can be salvation brought to that family. But Peter has an issue. He has an issue. He has a problem. Like it's not that simple. It's not that simple for him just to go over to Cornelius's house because Cornelius is a Gentile. Now, how many of you know what a Gentile is? Okay, so uh, let me define a term for you. Um, a Gentile doesn't really say what a person is, <laughs> right? Like if you call somebody a Gentile, you're not really saying anything about what they are. You're saying something about what they're not, <laughs> right? If you're a Gentile, you're not a Jew. That's basically it. So Jews were people who had descended from Abraham. So they had the blood of Abraham running through their veins, right? And Jews were special people in that they had been set apart by God. They'd been called by God. They'd been saved by God. And they'd been given God's law. God's law. His holy word. Right? They had these laws detailing how they should live. They uh, even had laws regarding how they should eat. Right? So there was the Jewish dietary laws. We call them, uh, or their food, we call kosher. So just look up 
on Google sometime, Jewish dietary laws, and you'll get page after page after page of, of how you can follow a kosher diet. And maybe, maybe some of you are already doing this with, with hot dogs. I mean, we've talked about hot dogs a lot around here lately, but if you, if you buy Hebrew National hot dogs, guess what? You're getting kosher hot dogs. So there's no pork in those hot dogs. And it also has a lot to do with how that food is processed. So, so how, like, like if you were going to really be a, a devout Jew, then you had to eat a particular way. You had to eat a certain diet. Now, what was this all about? It was about holiness, right? Now, some people think, well, it was about the fact that they didn't have refrigeration. So these are the foods that you could you could keep without refrigeration, and therefore, that's what you should eat. But I don't think it had anything to do with that. I mean, that might be true in certain cases. You could say that about those foods, but I think it had simply to do with God's commandments, what God said he wanted them to do. I mean, you look at the tree in the garden, right? What was wrong with this one tree that they shouldn't eat of? Nothing. There was nothing wrong with that tree. That was not an evil tree. Trees can't be evil. It was a tree that God said, don't eat from. So the difference then was the fact that it was a command by God. And so the whole idea was that this people were to be set apart by how they lived. There's, there's all these regulations and considerations. And, and, and so they were to observe these. And in doing so, they were reflecting something about how they viewed or perceived God. Like, I'm, I'm doing this for him. I'm setting myself apart. And then ultimately, we know that the reason they were to be set apart is so that they could be set up as a city on a hill, right? Like, this is a unique people, a peculiar people, a set-apart people. And as a result, other nations were to be drawn to them. That, that's how it was supposed to work. In other words, Gentiles could become Jews if they adhered to the Jewish religion. Right? And if they fully embraced everything that, that the Jewish faith required, or Judaism, we should say. So circumcision, dietary laws, observing the Sabbath, going to the temple. Right? So, so Peter's got a problem here. It's because he, he's a good Jew. And God says, here's all these foods you can eat, Peter. And Peter's like, hold on, God, what are you doing? No, I can't eat those things. I can eat some of them, not all of them, because, because, you know, I'm not supposed to eat certain of those foods. I can't eat those foods. And then the voice says, what God has declared to be clean, don't you say it's unclean. So, so we've got a changing of the guard that's taking place here, if you will. And Peter's eyes are being opened. And the analogy, the analogy that's being drawn here is that ultimately, Peter, you're about to be introduced to some Gentiles, okay? People that you guys have called unclean for years and hundreds of years. People that, that you've not associated with for hundreds of years. You're, you're about to come into contact with a Gentile family, People that you think you're better than. People that you think you're morally superior to. You're about to be introduced to a Gentile family. And this is going to rock your world. 
But what about Peter? I mean, I just love this. He, he, just, he just goes. He says later, without objection, I, I went. God says go. Well, you, you're like, well, he didn't have a choice, really. I mean, there's an angel. There's visions. Things happen three times. Three guys show up the door. I mean, there's all this confirmation swirling around. But let me say this. God doesn't work outside of our choices. Now, I mean, God could. But God's involving Peter, right? He's involving Peter. And Peter, Peter makes a choice in that moment. And, and it just blows me away. It's like, how can you do that, right? How can, how can you just jump over here when you've been here all your life? I mean, you're just blowing this thing up and blowing it apart. How can you do that? Well, we're not given the answers to that. Like, we don't get really insight into what Peter might be thinking. But I believe that God has been working on Peter's heart for some time. Do you know that there is seven to ten years between Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 10? Seven to ten years. That long of a period of time. And I believe Peter's been considering things and contemplating things. And all of a sudden, God drops the bomb on him. And he's like, yes, I'm going. Okay, I've, I've had enough information. I've, I've thought about this a while. I, and now here's all this confirmation. I'm going. And off he goes. Basically risking his own cleanliness. Now see, this is the fear, okay? Th- there's a real fear here. I mean, there's a legitimate fear for Peter. It's all about holiness, cleanliness, righteousness. If I come into contact with these people, then that's going to rub off on me. Then I will be contaminated, like cross-contamination, and then I won't be holy anymore. See, see that's the fear. And he, he throws all that to the wind. And you know what he does? Something, something no Jew, no devout Jew had done. Up to this point in Scripture, he walks into the house of a Gentile. <laughs> you know why that makes me emotional? <laughs> Let me ask you a question. How many Jews are here today? Okay, got some Jewish blood. Okay, one. Anybody else? Two. Got some Jewish blood. But you also got some Gentile blood too, right, by now, right? Do you know what we are? Gentiles. So like, you're not with Peter in this story. You're with Cornelius. You're the one sitting over there going, am I going to get help or not? Is somebody going to come? And deliver to me the saving word that I need or not. You have an interest in God or you had an interest in God at one point. Somehow your eyes were open and all of a sudden the gospel was given you. And guess what? That is a result of Acts chapter 10. It really is. I mean, there there, there had been fishers, small cracks in the dam prior to this chapter where Philip had gone and preached to the Samaritans. He'd also encountered the uh, Ethiopian eunuch. I mean, he was like a radical dude. I mean, like, what, what are you doing, man? 
What are you doing? What are you going over here? Samaritans? They're worse than Gentiles, actually. They're kind of half-breeds. And we really don't like them because they convolute the whole Jewish model. But then the Ethiopian, he's from Ethiopia. What are you doing? Nobody really questions it, though. I think that's because they're like, okay, whatever. You know, he's just kind of doing his thing. As long as it stays under the radar, we're okay. But then now Peter, Peter's a leader in the Jewish church, and he is walking into the home of a Gentile, an unclean person in their minds, unclean, off limits. And he says, I see now that God doesn't show favoritism. No, he doesn't play favorites. This is not, you know, it's not simply about me. I'm nothing special in other words. No, God desires to save all people from all nations. By the way, the word Gentile means nations. If you're looking for a meaning, it means nations. Now, back to this question of how did Peter, how did Peter cross over? Like, I, I just think it's more complicated than what it seems. Like, you don't just walk away from, you know, your moorings. You just, like, it's, it's not a simple thing. And I know that because I did it. I was raised in a Pentecostal church. That's all I ever knew. And there came a day in my early 20s when I walked away. That was a huge thing. Because I, I came to believe different doctrinally. And I just didn't think I could, I could serve in that particular church. And so I walked away. When I walked away, I walked away from parents. I walked away from a large extended family. They were all in the church. And it was a big deal. And I remember the decision-making process of me coming to that point. It was, it was huge. It's like, it was no easy thing. There's a lot of fear involved. So it took a good degree of security for me to make that move. In other words, I had to know that God was with me, that God was for me, that, that he would help me, that he was leading. I had to know all of this, right? And so I think, I think Peter, I, I believe he's come to that place in his own heart and mind. This is God's leading I've thought about this for quite a bit. I'm going to take the leap. I'm just going to do it. This is what God wants. This is his plan. This is his will. I'm going for it. Now, how could, how could he do that? I think it's because in all of his processing and considering God's will and what, what he should do, he thought about Jesus. And he thought about what Jesus had taught him. And what he had learned through his time spent with Jesus. Now, Jesus, you know, we, we talk about the gospel and all the gospel promises. And that, the fact that you should believe the gospel promises. And from the gospel promises, you're going you're gonna to be secure. You're going to find security. Well, guess what? <laughs> That's a step removed from being with Jesus himself, right? Like, in other words, when you were with Jesus, you were with the gospel. Like, all these promises, like... He exuded, in other words, security. 
Just, just trust in him, right? So Peter, Peter trusts in Jesus. I got to believe there's, there's two things that as he reflected that, that came to play um, in his decision-making process. One is, is grace. And uh, you can throw the last slide up, Tim. Um, people who get grace and righteousness can tear down walls and see people saved. So in other words, God's at work in the world saving people. God uses people to save people. But uh, we run into obstacles. When we try to save people, there's walls. has to do with our own personal holiness and how we're going to maintain what God has done in our lives and not get contaminated by trying to reach out to other people. But when we understand grace and righteousness, we can tear down those walls that keep us from walking into our neighbor's house. And how does that work? Well, first of all, grace, grace says to us what? You don't deserve it, right? Whatever you have was a gift. Like, so in other words, the way it applies to holiness and righteousness is if you think you've attained to something, if you think you've gained something by, by keeping certain laws and, and, you know, obeying, we should say, God, and now you've got this status before the Lord, and, and certainly we should not um, look negatively at your efforts, but if you think that that's gained some sort of status between you and God, like now you're, you're something special in God's eyes, then you need to stop right where you are and look back and go, you know what? Let me not forget where I was when God found me, right? And let me not forget that anything I've attained to, anything I've achieved, he's given me the ability to achieve it or to attain it. In other words, it all comes from him. You don't have one thing that hasn't been given you. But for the grace of God, there you go, right? So, so with that sort of understanding, you see, it is impossible to think more highly of yourself than others. It's impossible. Like, like I am nothing special. You know, I was watching... Uh, the news last night, and, and the news uh, that was being shown was this earthquake that had once again uh, pummeled Haiti. And I'm watching these poor people on the screen, and, and, and I'm thinking, in my spirit, like, do I, do I think I'm better than these people? And if I'm being honest, you know, I, I, I would have never asked myself that question, but maybe because I've been preaching this sermon, I, I did. Like, what do you think, Phil, right now? Are you better? Well, you know, it's Haiti. It's a third world country, right? Well, just by virtue of being in America, yeah, I, I guess I do feel better than. I think I do feel a little more special than like, in other words, if I'm going to check my spirit, like, you know, it, we don't explicitly think this way, but subtly, subconsciously, do we? Do we think that we're better than any people group 
in this entire universe? Do, do we really think that? And do you not realize that the only reason you're not in a different position, the only reason that you're not climbing out from under an incredible mountain of debris right now is the grace of God. That's it. There is no other reason. God doesn't show favoritism. He told Israel in Deuteronomy, like, you you were chosen not because you were anything special. Like, in fact, when it comes down to it, you were the smallest of all people. I could have chosen a much better nation than you. But you were chosen for this simple reason, that the Lord loves you. (laughs) he decided to love you. The other side of the equation is righteousness. So this is kind of how the righteousness thing works. Like, if you're on this train that Peter was on, Lord, I've done all these things and I've I've never done that. that. That's That's not a good train to be on. I mean, maybe, now, now, Peter, like, he claims absolute immunity, you know, it's like, I have never taken anything that I should, you know, eaten anything that I should, well, what about your heart, Peter? Did you ever want some pork? Did you ever lust in your heart for some pork? Some good old North Carolina barbecue pork? Or Memphis, or Kansas City, or Milwaukee? I don't think we're known for pork, are we? Like, that's not a good train to be on. You know, that's the train of self-righteousness, right? And self-righteousness will cause you to look down on other people. So what's the answer to that righteousness problem? Because we do need to be holy. We We do need to be concerned with holiness and be separate. We're God's holy people. That's how he sets us apart. And the answer is this. You know, God wasn't changing the rules on Peter. Right? He wasn't changing the rules. No, God, in essence, fulfilled the rules through his own son, Jesus Christ. In other words, the dietary laws pointed to what? They pointed to Jesus. Jesus fulfilled the dietary laws because, you see... Food and diet has to do with lifestyle. That, like, have you ever tried to diet? Yeah, of course you have. <laughs> it's just like an all-consuming thing, right? I mean, it takes over. And now you're being led around by this diet. Right? And, and that's why many people stop dieting, because they get tired of that. Like, I'm so tired of this. I ain't going to do it anymore. I'm going to eat my peanut butter. I don't care what they say. Diet is about lifestyle. These dietary laws pointed to Jesus. Like, Jesus, in other words, kept the law of God perfectly, and he's the only one that ever has. When you read a passage in the Bible, and you start feeling that gap between what the passage is requiring and how unrighteous you are, 
What do you do with that? Do you start saying, oh no, man, I got to try harder? Is that your first reaction? Or is your first reaction, praise God? Praise God, because this has been fulfilled. The righteousness that this passage is trying to get out of me has been fulfilled through Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. It's been done. It's over. Like, this requirement is over. Now I'm free. Now I have the holiness that I need. Now I don't have to worry about being contaminated by somebody else because my holiness requirement has been taken care of. It's done. It's over. I'm holy in Jesus. Now I can go wherever. You're not going to contaminate me. What goes in by the mouth, you know, external influences, in other words, does not contaminate us. Now I can be a light. I think, here's the last thing I'm going to say. Um, By the way, it's Jason's fault that we're late. So when you go home and have your conversations over the table, boy, that was a long service. Do not mention my name. (laughs) Um, Now I forgot what I was going to say. Yeah. Anyway, oh, here's going to say that you see that what I present to you are two are two anvils or pick axes we could call them that you need to use constantly. Tear down the walls. Tear down the walls. The walls that are erected by self righteousness, basically. The walls that are erected by those attitudes that we carry even subtly in our hearts that I'm better than somebody else. Because listen, as you improve in your life, and you will because you're a Christian, as you improve, you will start thinking in terms of moral superiority. And that can't stand, right? So you have to chip away at that wall. We have to knock those walls down. And, and I think the reason it's in Acts chapter 10 is because we need to remember this forever. Like the church always needs to be knocking those walls down. <laughs> they can't stand. We can't allow them to stand or we will not be an effective witness. We'll stop going over to our neighbors. Because we've got to keep the walls up, right? The walls are security. We've got to be secure that way. We're not secure in Jesus. We're not, we're not going out. So I thought of this. How, how could you not think of this in a message in relation to uh, um, walls and such and tearing down walls? In, I think it was on June 12, 1987, when Ronald Reagan stood at the Brandenburg Gate in Berlin, East Berlin, and invited Mr. Gorbachev to tear down this wall. That's one of the greatest moments, I think, in my lifetime, uh, just just being attuned to, you know, Eastern Europe and the Eastern Bloc nations. And I remember the Olympics. We just had the Olympics, you know, and they always had these East Germans. And they were like Amazonian-type people, and they won everything. (laughs) Mr. Gorbachev, 
tear down this wall. And I think it was a couple of years later that that wall came down. And it no longer is a barrier between East and West Germany. Let me invite you. Tear down the walls. Listen, when we talk about the church tearing down walls, we're not talking about a physical building tearing down walls, right? We're talking about you and me. We have to do it. If we're going to have a culture that's inviting, if we're going to have a culture that goes and gets people, no matter who they are, no matter how far away they are from God, and bring them back into our church family, then we're going to have to be vigilant. We have to tear down the walls time and again. Let's be that church. Let's be that people. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word today. I thank you for the truths that you convey to us in your word. And these are truths that we want to sink deep into our hearts, into our minds. We've been told that your word is sharper than a double-edged sword and it, it divides down to the depth of our soul, our being. It cuts deep, in other words. That's where we want your word to be applied so that subconsciously we're not self-righteous. But we're leaning fully and completely and totally upon the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and upon the righteousness that he has provided for us and that we truly believe and embrace the idea that everything that we have has been given us which encourages humility and causes us to be a place that truly does care about those that are far from you, that truly cares about the nations. Open our hearts and our our minds in keeping with this prayer. In Christ's name I pray, amen. I forgot to... uh, get a benediction ready. So why don't you stand? And uh, let me turn to one I just thought of. Where is the Shema? Deuteronomy 6? I thought so. Thank you. 6. John, you win the trip to Disney World. We're coming up. All right, please receive this word. <clears throat> Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and minds and soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you to do today shall be on your heart. Teach them diligently to your children when you sit and when you rise in your homes. Write them on the doorpost of your hearts. The Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you and give you peace in his name. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Have a great afternoon. Hey, Pastor Dave, thanks again for listening to this message. We want you to know that what you just heard is a glimpse of what happens on Sunday mornings, but 
You know, the church is so much more than what happens on a Sunday mornings. Coming to a service is, is just a slice of who we are and what God is doing in and through us. So we would love to get to know you and let you get to know us. And maybe the best way to do that is come to one of our services, but you can also go to our website and fill out a contact form and one of our pastors will follow up with you very shortly. Until then, we hope you have a great day and thanks again for listening.